Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Ed Hess. Now, Ed has over 30 years of experience in the business world before joining the academia world, and he's been an author of 12 books, over 75 articles for protectionists, and 60 Darden cases. His work has appeared in over 450 media outlets. Today, we're going to be talking about his new book, Humility is a New Smart. And in his words, he calls this book the most important book that he has written. And he believes this because it's, you know, we are on the leading edge of societal transformation that will be as challenging and as transformative as the Industrial Revolution. I'm going to have him talk about what he means by that very soon, but welcome to the show, Ed. Thank you for having me. The, the pleasure is mine. Um, guests like you are easily one of my favorites, just because of the vast experience you have, but also how you can also almost predict the future with, with patterns that you, you've seen in the past. So I'm curious if you could give us a background about how you moved from business to academia and why you feel like we need to really be mindful of our leadership norms today. Well, I've, I've had, uh, you, can, you can look at my past and uh, some people may look at it and say, gee whiz, you couldn't figure out what you wanted to be when you grew up. And, uh, <laughs> but I've, I've, I've gone from uh, law to uh, business management and then spent uh, 20 years as a senior executive and then into academia doing research and writing and focusing on really high performance organizations and high performance leadership and moving into the space that I'm in now. Uh, which is more dealing with the big challenges that we as a society and are, are going to have in the smart machine age. And really, it, 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 it wasn't planned. Uh, it was basically opportunistic. It was because of mentors. Um, and I was very fortunate to have throughout my career mentors seeing opportunities and, and putting, giving me opportunities to go into places that, I mean, really, I wasn't trained for. When I went to Wall Street as an investment banker, um, you know, I was put in charge of uh, overseeing IPOs and private equity raises and uh, other things. And I told the chairman, CEO of the firm, I don't know how you do an IRR. And he knew me well. And he says, I know that. 
but I know you can learn. So my, my life has been a journey of, of learning, if you really look at it, and it's been a journey of otherness, of other people uh, giving me opportunities and mentoring me, and um, I'm filled with gratitude uh, to, to, to those people and uh, uh, who have they had big, big impact on my life. And, and, um, and that brings me to the current where you know, I'm spending, as you said, a lot of time thinking about the organization of the future, the leader of the future, uh, as we go through this huge, if you will, what I call technology tsunami. And, and uh, it takes me back also to my uh, training in uh, psychology because uh, psychology was my love in college. And then I was in a graduate uh, uh, psychology program. And so I'd, my life has also been a journey of blending psychology and the business world. And the fascinating thing is, is psychology is going to be even as or more important in the business world going forward than economics or, you know, strategy or finance or anything because of the environment that we're going to be in. Oh, wow. And with you, I definitely share that, that passion for psychology and, and the human beings and on just how we think as a world. I'm curious, though. You, you look at the world right now. Um, I'm, I'm a millennial. and I, you know, I didn't grow up in the 60s, but people will say this is reminiscent of that time when there was a lot of, you know, social change and things going around the world. But now we've got the interesting divisions that happen here in the United States, the, the, regardless of your politics, that happen in Europe, that happen in, in, um, in several countries in, in several countries in Africa, and as well in Asia. And I'm curious about how you feel like our generation and the generation coming after us can use the digital platforms and just share human connection to actually um, become better leaders? Well, I think the digital platforms can exactly do what you're saying. You can basically share and become better leaders. But I think that uh, your generation and younger generations have got to be very cognizant and very diligent and very mindful of the fact that the same platform that allows for sharing allows for, if you will, spending your life uh, with other views which are similar as yours. And I think that's, that's the, the downside of the platform. The platform is, can be mechanistic and limiting if one doesn't really understand that I need to be following or viewing or connecting with people different than myself in order to understand different views and it can be on issues is, you know, that involve the business world where it's, that's necessary in order to think critically. That's necessary in order to create innovation. That's necessary in order to stress test one's thinking. Because as, as you know, a student of psychology, we're suboptimal thinkers, listeners, and collaborators because of our natural reflexive ways of being, which is basically we, we're confirmation seeking uh, beings and emotionally defensive protective, ego-protective beings. So the technology has huge potential, but technology can also, um, if people use it for the purpose of finding confirmation and only connecting with people who are like themselves and believe like themselves, and then if, they, if technology is not managed well, it can create the false assumption that that many, 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 many people are like me when there may not be 
that many people or put it that way, but somebody may think in a political sense that we're in the majority because everything I read says this. Well, you're only reading a small section because the technology is showing you what you want to read. And so I'm very optimistic about the millennial generation because of the millennial generation's focus on purpose and meaning, because I think purpose and meaning are going to be mission critical in figuring out the challenges that are coming in the next uh, few decades. And those challenges are much bigger than just the business world. The, the technology is going to basically not only transform how we work, it's going to transform how we live, and it's going to require transformation of educational systems, governance systems. Uh, clearly, what's going on in the environmental system, there's going to be major changes that are going to have to be made and and it's this it's it's a it's a the error that 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 the older generations are leaving to the millennials has the potential of being more disruptive for the global society than the industrial revolution was disruptive for england um hundreds of years ago oh wow wow can you uh, dive into that more because I, something I got from your book, which I really love, by the way, it's well written. It's the the idea that you're saying we human beings need to excel at doing those things that technology won't be able to do well. Right. You know, the higher order critical thinking, creativity, innovation, emotional engagement. So I would just love you to dive into that and that juxtaposition you 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 bring up with the industrial revolution and today. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to. Humans are going to be employed if they can do what the technology can't do. And the, the Industrial Revolution, looking back on it compared to what we face today, is, is pretty simple, all right? Uh, uh, the Industrial Revolution was machines and uh, taking over muscle power and, and horsepower. Technology is taking over thinking power. Technology is, 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 is this, we'll have the robots, which will basically be able to do physical part, and they're getting smarter and smarter. But artificial intelligence is the big thing. And artificial intelligence has the potential to, you know, to be much smarter than we can ever be. I mean, in solving problems because it can, it can process more data, remember data perfectly, recognize patterns faster, recognize variances. And technology now can even teach itself, all right? Machine, uh, the, the whole deep learning area that technology can go into large data sets and create hypothesis to test and it's in the the innovative arc of of artificial intelligence according to the best scientists out there i mean we're not we're going to be looking in i don't know the next decade at artificial emotional intelligence there are very bright artificial intelligence researchers who have been very successful and have um, and that are world renowned who truly believe they can basically replicate creativity and so what we're looking at is a, an era where humans are going to have to really specialize into what is uniquely human, understanding that that space is, is likely going to narrow, so we're going to continually have to be honing our skills and, in effect, continuously learning and, and if updating our personal operating system uh, so that we can continually evolve to work with the technology. The, the challenge about the Industrial Revolution is is that that's going to be extremely disruptive to society because, as you know, the best research out there is from Oxford University. Uh, 
And just in the United States alone, Oxford University predicts in um, you know, less than two decades, 47%, high probability, 47% of the jobs in the United States are going to be automated. I mean, that's, that's, that's more than 10 times the number of jobs that have been automated the last 20 to 30 years in manufacturing. Yeah. And this is a global thing. The, the, the number in India is 69% of the jobs, high probability of being automated. China, 77% of the jobs. So it's going to be a global situation that has the potential of exacerbating income inequality, yeah. exacerbating or, or making even more unusual upward social mobility. And then it raises the big human challenges that is how are people going to meet the daily needs of life and how do people find meaning in human dignity in a world where work is limited? And, and that is the societal challenge in, in, in the governments in Europe, in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and China are talking about this and working on it and doing contingency plans. And we're not even having a serious conversation in the United States about it because, you know, recently, as you know, our secretary of treasury said that artificial intelligence is 50 to hundred years away. Well, no artificial intelligence is here today. It definitely is. Definitely is. Now, thank you so much for putting that into, into context. And going through your book, it was like a, a great syllabus. I mean, obviously I, I, you have some academia background, but it was, it's engaging Silvers, because, you know, you, you talked about this new idea for a mental model for the smart age, and you've mm-hmm. highlighted a few things there. Um, but something you included in the mental model was humility. Yes. That's even in the title of your book. Yes. Uh, I'm fascinated by this, that why you feel like it's the gateway to human excellence. Well, that's a, that's, that's, that's a, good, that's a good question, because the humility, humility in the title uh, raises raises eyebrows, especially in the United States. Uh, it's much more well received in Asia and much more re- well received in, um, in in parts of parts of Europe. First, what do I not mean by humility? I don't mean the dictionary definition. I don't mean meekness, submissiveness, thinking lowly of oneself. I use we use humility in the psychological construct, having an accurate view of one's strengths and weaknesses being able to acknowledge one's mistakes and what one does not know. In the smart machine age, humans need to excel at being good at not knowing. That's completely different than all the way most of us were raised and where we were rewarded for knowing more than other people. That's completely different than the knowledge economy. What's coming is the, is the, is the good at not knowing economy, the, 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 the ability to continually learn and innovate and create. And the continuing with the, the, the definition we use of humility, being open to new ideas, contradictory information, and, and tamping down the ego. In the, in, as you look at the world, the challenges that's going to come with the smart machine age of all the advanced economies in the world, we're going to have the biggest challenge because of our country culture of extreme individualism and survival of the fittest. We have the most, we're on the, we're on the, if you will, edge, if you will, in both, both of those philosophies. And this, the, we, we've created a big me culture. Okay. It's all about competition. Well, going forward, it's going to be about collaboration. Going forward, it's going to be the big we, because none of us are going to succeed at the type of skills that the technology can't do by ourselves. The psychology and the science is clear. 
we're suboptimal thinkers. We're suboptimal collaborators because of the way we're naturally reflexive, confirmation-biased thinkers and emotionally defensive, protective, ego-protective thinkers. And so we've got to tamp down that ego. We've got to tamp down the, the emphasis on the self. And that, that, that's why I believe humility is the gateway because, you know, if you, if you think about it, innovation, what's necessary for innovation? Empathy, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, being able to, and if you're full of yourself, it's hard to be empathetic. If you think about what's necessary for critical thinking, testing ideas, listening to different opinions, uh, listening to opinions that, that, that disagree with you, what's necessary to hear that? Being open-minded. If you are so convinced you are right, you are closed-minded. If you're so convinced you're right because your ego is tied up in what you believe. And what we have to do is divorce and separate our ego from our, not our values, from our ideas and our beliefs. So we're more open to stress testing them. So we're more open to learning. So we're more open to, to admit our ignorance, the magnitude of our, of our ignorance as to how much we don't know. So humility, that's why I believe humility is sort of the, that's where you start. And if the way you operationalize humility is quieting your ego. That's, you know, and I've worked with over 2,000 executives in the past three years on these, the, the content in the book. And where most people have to start is on humility, quieting the ego. And then the second thing people um, have to learn is how to truly listen. Most of us listen to confirm, not to learn. Yeah. Most, oh, most, gosh. That's most, powerful. Listen, uh, most of us listen to confirm, not to learn. Ah, that's, I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't know. I just got goosebumps. All right. All right. That's, so, that's all right. That's all right. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it is powerful because it's, if you think about it, what, what we're trying to do is change our mindset from being right to being a great learner to be an adaptive, agile, to basically perceive reality as, as best we can as it is, not as how we want it to be, not in order to fit our story of the world and, and, and to divorce our ego. And so the key here is, is instead of getting your ego kicks out of being right, okay, Get your ego kicks out of by the quality of your thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. Strive, join the, the journey to human excellence that we talk about to become the best thinker, listener, relator, and collaborator you can be. And that takes rigorous daily work forever because it's like training like a champion. And as you know, in chapter eight in the book, there's the diagnostic and how to train like a champion. And, you know, I'm... I'm not there. I've been doing this for years and I still have my list of things that I work on every day. I have my list that when I leave home in the morning, I, I look at to remind myself. And when I go home at night, I look at that list and then I mentally replay what happened to the day, certain meetings that come to mind. Okay. Did I, did I really, did I really truly listen or was I making up my answer, creating my answer while that person was talking? Did I sit back and reflect or did I just react? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so the, 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 the beauty of what we're talking about is journey to human excellence is 
is that we can't obtain that excellence without others. So we're going to have to quit being so me oriented because we need others. We need otherness. Uh, and then the other thing that's fascinating about it is that technology is going to dehumanize business because technology is going to reduce headcount. But technology, ironically, is going to make businesses more human in the sense it's going to humanize it because the, envir- the work environment is going to have to change at many places to enable the highest levels of human thinking and emotional engagement in that, in, in that environment. Is an, is an environment that is not command and control and direct. You cannot command and control people to think creatively, innovatively, or critically. You can't command and control people to emotionally engage. That's what humans are going to be having to do. But you can create an environment that's based on psychology, three psychological principles that enables the highest level that's possible. And that's the the fascinating irony of all of this, that the organization of the future is going to become more humanistic and more people-centric in order to basically excel and continuously create value for society. Wow. So so you're saying even though technology can dehumanize us, for us to maximize and leverage technology the best way, we have to be more human. Yes, sir. Bingo. <laughs> oh man, that paradoxical nature of that—that's uh, that's that's so fascinating. Um, and, and I even see this sometimes when you look at the message boards today. You see people are quick to call people names that they they're not in front of. You know, you're you can go after people's families, and then you go and click on their bio, and family man, Christian, devout pastor, family of father <laughs> three, and you're like, wait, what? You're not, was, this is not what you normally preach, so why would you feel like you need to go there? And this happens sometimes with athletes or, or you know, entertainers. Maybe we take that. But I'm always thinking that you must not have seen that person as a human for you to have easily type that type of thing because I don't think you say that in front of them if you're staring at them. So Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, the, work, and the work that you do is so important. Diversity is going to be so important. You know, it is important now. It's going to be mission critical that everybody adopt a, I'll call it a philosophy of otherness and openness to different views and different backgrounds. Because if you go back to the science, we all have our stories of the world that were created based on how we were raised, where we were going to raised, who we were in contact with. And if you think about it, our stories are so narrow in the sense that there's a great big world out there, a lot of different, you know, different ways of approaching problems, different uh, uh, religions, uh, different backgrounds and how people have, have learned to cope with life. And if you, if you view it that we all are on a journey of trying to make meaning out of the time that we're here. And if you do it, that we're all, it's, 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 um, um, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. My, my, my wife uh, is a, a, a great, great love of my life, but also a great friend and a great um, uh, uh, mentor. She's trained as a scientist and, and um, uh, very, very, very smart, much, much smarter than me. And uh, we were talking one time and, and I was asking her questions and she says, you know, what, what do you think? You know, what do you think that I, I did wrong in this situation? And I said, well, did you consider this, this, and this? And she says, yeah. She says, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Just being, you know, 
not that smart and struggling to make, you know, to do good in the world. I says, yeah, it is. And, uh, but I mean, that coming to that concept that it's hard, this is hard and we're all nowhere near as good as we think we are and we can learn from others. And the science is clear that the best thinking comes from collective intelligence and collective intelligence only doesn't mean the same having five heads. Okay. That's not collective intelligence. That's the same intelligence five times over. Collective intelligence is having an ed in four different people. Mm. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And that is so, and in, in, in sitting back and just exploring and, and going on somebody else's journey to hear why they believe and and why they see things differently. It is so liberating. It is so liberating for the giver and the receiver because then you can have much more human understanding and human respect, which we sorely need in our country today. Yeah, yeah. If we humble ourselves to accept others, um, there is no telling the potential that we can uh, reach. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a lot of what I was getting, you know, from your book because you, you as, as many things, you started off with the self, you know, we've got to quiet our ego, mm-hmm. manage ourself, <laughs> and we need a level of self-awareness to understand how we think and how we react to certain things. Mm-hmm. And then as the, the listening element, um, I believe you call it was reflective listening. Reflective right? listening. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, other than that, so you talked about how emotionally, uh, connecting and relating to others is important. And, um, yeah, and I, you know, I think if we go through that, that those steps, you know, those are things that we'll be able to just brilliantly um, bridge divides today. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I, I know I'm in a DNI field, but I'm always, I you know, I find that sometimes a lot of people in diversity and inclusion can also have their own silo, like their yes. world. And yes. this election, you know, I'm I'm not a citizen, but I'm someone that's grown up in different parts of the world, and I, I was I'm, I live here now. But I saw a lot of, um, and living in New York, so I live in New York. You, in New York and L.A. and all these areas, these recent elections, you have a lot of people that are open-minded. Uh, I, guess, I believe we call them liberals. <laughs> That's the American term. But they were surprised by the way other people thought because they thought by being open-minded that um, obviously there's no way other people think a certain way. And then the other side, conservatives felt like they lived in their own bubble and they didn't understand middle America. So I'm so curious about how we can still be open-minded and still be um, exclusive. It's just paradox that I'm, I'm just curious about. 
Well, I'm not. I'm not sure that you can be open-minded and exclusive. Ah, oh. I'm, I'm. I'm not sure you can because there's closed-minded people at all levels of the of the political spectrum, um, and there's and and there even may be open-minded people at, at all along along the spectrum that are more open than others, and it's like a continuum open open-mindedness. And I think the I think it's 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 Part of it is sort of, I think, a philosophical um, um, approach to, to life. And if you go back to the founding of this country in the Mayflower Compact, it was it, the common good was the foundational principle. And if you and if you go back in history to the uh, ancestors, the hunters and the foragers, they learned early on that they were going to be much more. They had a better chance of living and finding food. And surviving if they if they worked together and collaborated in in teams or groups or tribes, um, and it's it's this this what we've lost in this country because of the individualistic Darwinistic cult social Darwinistic cultures we've lost this we are all in this together, and we need a we need a reset and we've had politically in the country two resets. Um, um, after the Civil War, um, you know the the robber baron days was reset, and the I mean the Gilded Age was reset, and then we had the Depression that was reset with the New Deal. And you know the what we're fixing to to face in our country over the next twenty thirty years is is going to basically require another reset. And um, I mean, if you look at the Progressive Era, the era of great excuse me. If you look at the era of great prosperity, which economically occurred in this country from 1947 to the mid-1970s, that's the only time after the Civil War where the capitalist system produced um, significant or material income growth for all levels of of the population. In fact, the, the, the rate of growth was not that far apart. It was the big economic prosperity era from a growth perspective, from a a middle class perspective, from an upward social mobility perspective. And during that perspective, in in those years, big business said it had three duties, duty to society and communities, duty to workers, and duty to individuals. And during that time period, average CEO pay during that time period ranged from 20 to 1 to 30 to 1 not 250 to 1 or 350 to 1. And beginning really in the, it was first espoused in early 1970, but really took hold in the 1980s. Philosophically, we changed the business story to the sole purpose of businesses to create shareholder value, you know, and that meant that, you know, we had uh, declining duties to workers and we could offshore outsource um uh, get rid of employees and hire independent contractors and and you know we don't have a duty to communities we can shut down facilities um, we don't have a duty to uh, mother earth um, and we've we've gone we've gone as about as far as we can get it looks like on this concept that that um, um, survival of the fittest and and the number one thing in life is 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 extracting value from humans and value from earth. And, and I think that from a diversity viewpoint, we've got to come back to some 
foundational principles that everybody buys into. And then, all right, you can be diverse, if you will, about, you know, your religion and you can be diverse, if you will, about how you find meaning in your life. And you can be diverse as to what you view as um, important on a daily basis and uh, et cetera. But it would seem, it seems to me that this smart machine age is going to shake things up, that we've got to have a coming together and figure out how uh, we can, we can each individual in their own way find meaning in a world where not everyone is going to work. In fact, the number of people who will be working full-time will be a, 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 you know, I don't know the, what the number will be, but, I mean, you could, if you wanted to say, there, we, we may reach a point where, say, 45% people do not have work, and then the remaining 55%, half of them are working part-time or is uh, giggers or freelancers, and maybe the other half has, full-time jobs but won't be full-time jobs because they'll only last two to three to four years and then people are going to have to retrain themselves because technology is advancing. So life, life is a constant tryout. And, and in that type of environment, um, if you will, divisiveness uh, will basically only, in, in, only increase unless we come to figure out a way how we become very humanistic as a society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we can't just we can't think it's not something that evolves. You know, I think a lot of people have like to start and stop. Oh, we'll get there, um, and I don't need to evolve. And I think tra- technology creates a fast-paced world. The globalization is a reality, and if we're ever going to keep you know uh, that that in mind and uh, keep up with the with the pace at which technology is moving, we have to also do our due diligence by improving as humans, which is mm-hmm. transforming, which is continuously evolving and learning new things and understanding that the different paths to one right answers. And I, one of the most powerful things that you said today is the fact that you know, there's this collective, uh, um, collectiveness that we need to come, uh, come to agree with. Uh, we need to create teams of multiple, not just multiple eds, but ed and other people yes. working yes. together to, to, to get to a common and shared, uh, goal like we want to elevate humanity we want better leaders well what do you think ed what do you think scott what do you think regina yes yeah and then it's it's interesting i'd be interested in 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 your views um as you said you're a millennial your views of what's coming and your views of the challenge and how you think your generation is going to adapt to it so it's it's interesting, right? So my 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 background by sheer just growing up, it was I was just I needed to have cultural competency to survive. You know, I my first nine years of my life was spent in military dictatorship in Nigeria. Then we go to democratic government, and then it becomes I'm moving and living in five different countries and four different continents before I'm 17 because of my dad's job. So. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like I needed to do that to make friends, to make sports teams, to ask girls out, to do any of that. So um, it's just been something that was so ingrained in me. But it wasn't until I started telling my stories that I started to realize that this is something that really needs to be just extrapolated on a a granular level, that a lot of leaders end up getting positions without actually knowing the people that they're leading. Mm -hmm. So I think what our generation can do by sheer virtue of our makeup being the most diverse generation ever and one of the most technological advanced um, generations is we can learn how to use our tools to, to connect as opposed to divide. You know, we have um, 
you know, people a lot of times say Facebook is bad, but we could also look at how Facebook can create um, a bunch of communities around uh, certain organizations. We can talk about how um, if social media only shows um, a filtered view of the world, then some of us in our generation can use social media to show the raw and true elements of that. So I think it's up to us to really, like you said, evolve in our thinking, but also use the tools that already exist to connect mm-hmm. and just use that as educational um, tools. And um, it, it's a long way to go because a lot of what the world likes to do is the easy thing, which is to fear and hate and assign blame. But we need to rise above that and say, no, no more fear. I'm going to work towards understanding and I'm going to promote something that bridges instead of uh, causes divides. So, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, I love it. I love it. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it goes back to the, the meaning and purpose. I mean, is, is, you know, as everybody looks back when they reach that time and is to their time here, you know, how much, how much good and hope and generosity and compassion and did, um, did they, did they leave in the world versus how much did they take from the world? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, I, I love it. Just so I mean, we've talked about so much and I could talk about you, talk about you and with you for hours, but um, w- what's next? You know, how can people find the book and what do you want people to do once, once they read the book? Well, the book's uh, available on all, all the booksellers, all right? Uh, all the booksellers and it comes in uh, audio, um, uh, tablet, hardback, uh, and what what do I hope that people do with the book? I hope that people first pick up the book with an open mind and a uh, and a positive attitude that the purpose of the book is to help people join the journey to human excellence. And so it's a journey. And so when you're joining a journey, uh, you not only be open minded, but you you basically the book is very as you know is practical and applied. There's a lot of templates, questions, yeah. uh, checklist. And there's a diagnostic in chapter eight to basically in that I've used with um, over 2,000 2, people that you can go through and see what granular behaviors are you doing that you need to basically stop doing and what behaviors are you not doing. And people, so for people to create a personal improvement plan and it, it tells people, how do you do that? What's the science of training like a champion? Um, and to start working on, you know, not more than three things at any time. And the science says that when you start working on changing your behaviors, you first have to change your mindset, your beliefs. And so that's why we put forth the, the concept of humility and the concept of new smart. Uh, that you define yourself not by what you know or how much you know, but by the quality of your thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. And underneath doing being a good critical thinker, underneath being creative, underneath being innovative, underneath emotionally engaging with people, are are certain basic behaviors which you've you've mentioned, which is having a quiet ego, managing your thinking and managing your emotions, reflectively listening. And then connecting and relating people in a, in a way that builds positive regard, which builds trust. Without trust, you won't have good collaboration. You know, people have got to feel that they're in good hands when they are with you, that, you're, that I'm not going to harm you and you're not going to harm me. 
that we care for each other as people and we understand that nobody is perfect and we can be better. And, and it's the, the other purpose of the, of the, of the book is to impress upon people that, that the, it's the power of learning and iterative learning. And it's amazing if you ask yourself, what did you learn every day and keep a journal? Uh, it's the power of gratitude. Gratitude basically helps quiet one's ego uh, to remember people and to write thank you notes and to say thank you and to the power of basically uh, slowing down. The, ir- the irony is, is things are moving so fast and we're all trying to do more and more and more and more and more and faster, faster, faster. The irony is to excel in the smart machine age, we have to slow down to be in the moment to slow down to think, to slow down to manage ourselves, to slow down to connect in road and engage. And the, and the power of meditation and the power of gratitude and quiet the ego, uh, that, and the power of choice. We all have literally hundreds and hundreds of choices each day that we make. And most of us don't even make them consciously. We just operate on autopilot. We have a choice when we're walking down the hall whether to smile at the person coming down the hall. We have a choice whether to make eye contact. We have a choice whether to actually be present when somebody's talking. We have a choice as to whether we're going to behave because we're feeling emotional or we're going to basically try to manage that emotion. We're going to have a cho- we have a choice as to whether we ask somebody, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? That's a choice, and, and and it's a and it puts forth, if you will, a a almost a uh, I guess one of the people a, a, a very esteemed professor endorsed the book said she said this is not a book about technology it's a it's a it's a new way of thinking and behaving, and that's the journey that we're inviting people on to the journey to become your best self to be your best self. Not just with people you like, but your best self at work, your best self with others, um, whether you know them or not. And, and people that have joined the journey, the feedback they have given me is that there is much, there is great joy in being on the journey and measuring yourself and seeing that you're, you are improving. You are improving. There'll be setbacks. Nobody's perfect. But just acknowledging them and continuing the discipline to self-improve is, is a joyous journey because other people will notice it. Your relationships will be better with loved ones and with friends, and you'll be easier meeting people. You'll be a better thinker. And, and that's, the, that's what I hope with the book, that the book helps people basically become closer and closer to being all they can be. Oh my goodness! No, I, I love that so much, and um, no, it's incredible. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's easily one of my my favorite books. I remember when it came in the mail, and I went through it, and um, I just, <laughs> like I said, I could talk all day, but I I can't express enough how important this book is. Please, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you get the chance, make sure you check it out on all places stores are available. And it, the book is called "Humility Is the New Smart Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart." machine age i'll put that in the show notes and make sure we, we spread the love but before we leave uh ed I, the mission statement of my my platform my podcast my uh company is use your difference to make a difference that, that's the foundation that i i live by and uh, i like to ask my guests uh, a similar question 
how do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, I love what you do, and I, re- and, uh, I applaud you. Uh, and you're on a good mission. You're, you're on a good journey. And I think that how I use what I do is, can be dis- described in a couple of words. I care, and I've been very fortunate in my life, and I want to help other people find their journey, their meaning, their purpose as best I can, not by following me, but by putting out ideas and and approaches and ways to learn, okay, processes how to learn, how to listen, how to think, that will bring so that everybody can find their way and live a meaningful life as they define it. And so I'm, I'm just a, one of, you know, many of the millions of people that just care, care about where we're going, care about that everybody's on the journey and that everybody, I came from a very humble background and have lived a, a very wonderful life because other people cared and helped me and gave me opportunities. And, yeah. and that's, that's what this is all about. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. That's a beautiful way to to wrap up the interview. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.